Rogers Business App Market brings together the right apps for your business and wraps it all up with Rogers world-class support. Microsoft Office 365 makes it easy. Whether you need to securely store and backup files, access or share documents in the cloud, collaborate with your team or manage your business from anywhere and on any device. Plus, with support from Rogers, you'll get everything up and running quickly. To learn more, visit rogers.com forward slash business apps. Scotiabank understands that business is personal and your business has unique needs. That's why we offer flexible solutions for your business banking. Create your own business banking package that works for you by opening an account online in minutes with ease and start saving today. Visit scotiabank.com forward slash small business to get started. Building your dream, work-life balance, scaling up, discussing the topics that matter most to entrepreneurs. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular show listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play Music and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I'm Rivers Corbett and entrepreneurship is part of my DNA. Whether it's building my own companies or helping other entrepreneurs build theirs, this is my lane. Want to connect after the podcast? You can find me at www.meetrivers.com. This is Manny Pata, founder of New Avenue Capital. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Startup Canada podcast show. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett, and I am excited because we are thrilled to have this man, this man right here, who is the remarkable example of entrepreneurship driving social impact across the world. That's right. I didn't say Canada. I said the world and empowering numerous future leaders of the world tomorrow. Manny Pata is the founder of Vancouver-based New Avenue Capital, an investment firm that encompasses venture capital, private lending, and executive search to offer a one-stop shop for early-stage ventures. Founded in his 20s, New Avenue Capital has accumulated multi-million dollar portfolios in over 50 companies across 12, that's right, 12 countries within its seven years of operations. In his personal mission, mission to give back to the children and leaders of tomorrow, which Manny has two children, Manny has contributed to a wide variety of the education and not-for-profit sectors and is an active advisor, angel investor globally. 2016, he received Angel Investor of the Year. And in 2017, I was fortunate enough to award Manny, although he was in uh, BC waiting for his second child to arrive, but he did receive Startup Canada's Entrepreneurship Promotion Award of the Year. Manny has been returning 25% of all profits made from his angel investing back into the community. Today, we're going to talk 
with Manny about his entrepreneurial approach to achieving social good in and around the country. I am humbled, my friend. Welcome, Manny Pata, to the Startup Canada podcast show. Thank you so much. Hopefully I can live up to that introduction. <laughs> Dude, it's amazing. When you write stuff down, I read it, and it's true. It's just how it goes. <laughs> it's just great script writers. You know, I, I do I laugh about that a, a lot is, uh, you know, when you and, – and I know you've done speeches. When they ask, okay, give me your bio, they just yep. read it. They don't say, well, no, you didn't do this or challenge it in any way so you can really write anything there you know? i'm gonna try that next time seriously special advisor to dustin trudeau i yeah. love it that's the next one's gonna be <laughs> on global affairs yeah love it. Well, look, my friend let's dive into our conversation because this is about entrepreneurship this is about your journey um uh can you tell us the end of the conversation first what are you hoping our listeners will grab from our conversation you know, I think in every talk that I do, my, my goal is to impart some ideas on how you can blend, you know, business and philanthropy together. Mm-hmm. And, and not that it has to be large dollar signs or amounts, but how can you start at the ground floor of, of putting some philanthropy into your business model and then continue it as, as you achieve success? So let's talk about that because, you know, some people say, well, you know, when I get when I get there, when I'm able to, I'll start to do some work in philanthropy. And, and you know, and just reading your bio, it's 25 percent of all profits. A lot of startups, you know, 25 percent. And I know you're not suggesting that, but is there other ways? Well, first of all, talk about the mindset of doing social good uh, for a business right from the very beginning. And what are some other ways in which you would recommend that that, that can be done without necessarily saying, here's 25%? Yeah, and, and and I think it's different for everybody. You know, I a portion of my portfolio, what I do in venture capital, is is dedicated towards that because I believe that gives back. But it's not just dollars. You can you can donate dollars, which is a traditional model. You can donate your time and also your product. And I think sometimes the product piece is sometimes even more important than the dollar amount because of what it can do for organizations. And the world is changing in terms of. Uh, you know, this used to be a, maybe a unique approach 20, 30 years ago, but there was just a, an article that came out, I think it was earlier this week, where the BlackRock CEO, the largest private equity firm in the world, sent a note out to all the CEOs that they're invested in saying that they need to have some sort of social aspect, social impact in businesses moving forward. Otherwise, they may not get the investment or removal mm-hmm. of investment. And so when you hear the largest private equity firm in the world yeah. saying that, yeah. uh, and, 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 you know, hopefully they follow through, you, you know you're you're on the right path. And so, um, you know, the, the traditional model of, hey, I'm going to go make lots and lots of money and then give it all back, you know, that's that's been followed by some great individuals. Warren Buffett's done that and others. But I truly do believe, and as we're seeing the next new generations come up, you have to have a piece of social impact in your business and have it as a passion. You know, make it a passion of what you're doing. So for me, it's kids and education, and that's been a passion of mine for years. For others, it's, you know, whether it's cancer, whether it's diseases, whether it's healthcare, the variety of places, right, that you can look at. But find that passion piece of what you see and then and then give back there. And I think that's that's the key. You know, um, in this day and age with the internet, um, and it's been around for a long time, but, you know, I, I think, is it fair to say that, you know, this isn't nothing, this isn't something that's new, it's just becoming more prevalent and being vocal about because people are watching more? Absolutely. Like I've never said I'm innovative in doing this. I think it's more of a, it's a, it's a, to me, it should should be mainstream and people are doing it. And I think you're just seeing more uh, people being vocal, but also you're starting to see, as you said, the internet's been around for 20, 30 years, but the dissemination of it 
and how we're now using the internet allows people to go do a lot more. So you know about what's happening in different countries. You see different not-for-profits and charity organizers. You see crowdfunding campaigns, which have been happening. So there's just so many more ways to do it. Uh, and to give back, it's 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 almost endless. Yeah, it is endless, and and I and I think you're reinforcing that. Why children's education for you? What's the what's the what's the rallying call there? You know, I, I, I've uh, education was imparted on me at a young age. My parents are both uh, master's level educated from India, mm-hmm. but came to Canada for a better life for their kids they were going to have. And my dad ended up working in, in the forestry industry and my mom ended up working in retail. So not really taking advantage of their level of education, I would say. Mm-hmm. However, they imparted that on myself that education lifts people out of poverty. The more educated you are, the more you know, the more it allows you to move away from, you know, labor, potential jobs to other things using your using your brain and your mind. And so for me, I've seen that benefit when you go to different countries when you're working, especially some of the charities I work where they're educating people and that allows them to pull their whole families out of poverty. So to me, education is the most powerful tool that you can use to get people out of poverty. And so that's why I focus on it. And then why kids? It's, you know, they're the ones that, that mm-hmm. have a chance to change that generation and can help their parents, can help the future generation. And so that's kind of been my reason for it is that I just think the leverage and effect of it and that multiplier effect that I care about is going to be the largest with kids and education. So brilliant. Um, you uh, you were talking about charities that you invest in, and I do want to. We're going to talk at some point in time about New Avenue Capital, but I, I want to stick on this theme we're at. How do you choose? I mean, okay, you've got a focus, uh, you know, education, kids, but th- there's you know bazillion opportunities for you to invest, uh, contribute to. How do you choose the charities that that uh, you want to invest in or, or contribute to? Yeah, so the first thing is I, I try to do quality versus quantity. Um, so typically I'm working with one or two charities locally and then typically one or two charities globally. And I, I concentrate my efforts on those where I can provide value. So there's some charities that I've been working with gosh, for six, seven years that are on smaller base. Um, and there's others that I've been working now over the last few years, but are making different impact. And with different charities, I'm doing different things. So it might just be as simple as a check uh, for some, but with most, it ends up with me coming in to talk about donating my time in some capacity, whether it's mm. an advisory council, capital campaign to help them build out, or whether it's um, you know more on the, the product side. Part of what we do at New Avenue Capital in my business there is to impact capital. That's one of our pillars, one of our three pillars. Right. So we do impact, we do impact capital series where we bring people in who are going to talk about um, blending business and philanthropy together, how they've done it. So we've got an event, for example, a small group, 30 individuals who are tech leaders in the community who are going to be listening to John Wood speak, who's the founder mm-hmm. of Room with his new book that's just launching. And so we try to do it through a variety of ways. And for me, it's to try to do it through all three methods, through time, through product, and through um, through um, donations itself. You know, I you're a you're a, a businessman, and not just running a small business. You're you've got uh, a business of uh, of of great of great substance behind it. You're um, you're obviously uh, a, a charitable man. You have two small children, three and a half and two months, right? Two and a half months. 
something around that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, I never understood, you know, what, what, it, why do we keep counting months up to 24 and then it goes to two years? I didn't, that never made sense to me. <laughs> I'm hoping maybe you get more sleep every yeah. couple weeks, more sleep comes into play. Hopefully. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. It's the counting of the sleep. Um, how, uh, <laughs> how do you balance it all out? And, and, and by the way, I know there's no such thing as pure balance, but I guess, how do you approach where your time goes, where your attention goes on a, on a regular basis? You know, I think you're right. There's no such thing as, as work-life balance. It's, it's work-life integration and how does it kind of work together? And, and for me, I think I, I'm very fortunate you know, I think part of it's been hard work, but a lot of it is also luck in terms of being able to build a business successfully at a young age. Um, and having that ability and, and to be able to have done that at a young age has allowed me now in my 30s to focus and spend time where I really want to. So I don't have to go out and do 100 searches in a year. I'm, I'm very particular on, on clients that we work with uh, on doing that type of work. I'm I, very particular on the companies we're investing in and there's a certain criteria in portfolio. So we, we have filters on everything that we do. For example, if someone's trying to pitch us a new business, we don't look at a new business for investment unless it's been referred into us by somebody that we know. Right. Uh, so that's a great filter tool. On the recruitment side, same thing. We don't do search work with any client unless we know them or they've been referred into us. Mm. Um, so that that touch point makes people take one extra step to try to get to know us. And if they're not going to do that, then you know, then it might not be the right fit anyways. And then on the impact capital side, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ingraining myself with the, with a few charities and not-for-profits that I really like to work with. And on the impact side, I also consider social impact companies in that level as well, because I think there's a, there's a trade-off there sometimes that people think there is with profit and with social impact. And I think there's only a trade-off if you need it to be there, but then you need to measure both sides. So I put that in the impact capital bucket as well. So I'm able to, I'm able to juggle those three things, A, with an amazing team, and be with the passion I have for all of it. I don't really consider most of the work that I do actual work. Yeah, and that brilliant. Um, you know, you, you talk about work, work, uh, life uh, balance, and and I know you're going to resonate with what I'm going to say. It, it, it because because uh, Richard Branson said it, it. You know, work and and play are life. That's really what yeah. it's about. And you just reference that is that you enjoy what it is that you do, and it just becomes a part of what it is that you do. Um, Manny. Uh, Talk to us about uh, New Avenue Capital. What's, uh, you know, you started it in your, in your 20s. What was the, the you know, I got to do this moment when you're having a beer or a cup of coffee and, and start it here on the journey? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because my background's a little bit different to be in the finance sector and, and a blend of what we're doing. But I started off in executive search. Okay. And when I left the big, large firm to, to start up my own business, that's where I started. And the ethos of my business and where it kind of came from was when I was looking at these early stage companies building out and I put my finance hat on, I'd be like, hey, I'd love to take some of these fees and get equity in this company. So I would just invest it back. Nice. And and I guess that was a novel idea when I started that, you know, eight years ago or so. Um, but I had heard that about that idea from the individuals who I guess did search work for Google when it first started and took stock instead of fees for some of the executives. I'd heard a, a story, whether it's a myth or legend yeah. or real. And right. I thought, well, I'd love to do that for a Google. And and so that's what I did. And although I will admit I, I haven't had a Google type of company yet, um, <laughs> it, it allowed me to build a decent portfolio to get started into the business. And so yes. that's kind of where that came from. And then 
I just kept learning. You know, once again, education is key. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to do my MBA, do my undergraduate. And then I was really interested in this executive education program at Harvard, just a week long course. Um, but I got surrounded by 90, 95 people around the world uh, who are venture capital, private equity, et cetera. And this business model that I've been percolating in my head of, hey, wouldn't it be interesting to have recruitment combined with investment, combined with lending, et cetera, and kind of make it a, a one stop and we kind of worked on that model while I was there and I passed it by a few individuals. And so that's kind of where the aha moment happened cool. uh, in Boston um, a few years ago. And, and that's how I've been able to structure it that way now where it's, yeah, you, you build all the pieces together and then you pull the levers of depending on what you need to do on what project you can do that. And so I hope that the companies that I invest in or most of them at least say that, yeah, Manny comes in and provides smart money and you know can open up doors to other things. We've got partnerships with shred consultants, with design firms, with marketing companies, PR communications, legal accounting. Um, and we don't get any referrals, fees or anything from that. More of it is that it's partnerships of people that we've worked with that we then know that we can hand over and say, hey, do a really good job. Mm. And so it's those, it's those value added pieces that I think help a lot more than versus here's a check and you know you can talk to me every few months if you need to. And, and is that how you came up with the, the name New Avenue? Yeah, you know, funny enough, New Avenue Capital actually is a reincarnation of one of my failed businesses. Love which it. Which was, I wouldn't say failed, but it didn't didn't do very well. New Avenue right. Media. And New Avenue Media was something I started, oh gosh, it's got to be almost 12 years ago now. Yes. And it was, it was doing media media frames and washrooms, similar to what New Ad was doing. And I, <laughs> yeah. I uh, But I went and found second tier locations and bundled it up and sold it. Uh, but it didn't do as well as I wanted it to do uh, at the time. And so when I was starting the new company, I thought, hey, you know, I, I love that new avenue piece because it, it, it encompassed everything that I was thinking. And so that's kind of where the, where the name and the capital piece to it came. So you talked about your team, uh, great people. Uh, great people are driven by great leadership, great culture. Uh, can you talk about how you, I mean, I, I, get the, I get the raison d'etre, why you started it. Can you talk about the building process and what were the key elements of your success in building New Avenue? Yeah, you know, it's it's been interesting. I When I first started off, I thought that I wanted a massive team. Mm. And so about three, four <laughs> years ago, we started growing. Um, and we had a marketing person in-house, HR, you know, associates, finance, administration, the whole, the whole works. And as we kept growing and growing and growing, and I realized the bigger our team got, the less flexibility we had. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and so we've built really more of this partnership model versus having a marketing person in-house. We have a marketing firm that we use and we work with with our clients, et cetera, for example. So the team that we have now is very lean. And, yes. you know, it's, it's an associate that works with me in the office with two associates now. Um, we have, you know, our, our operations person who manages it. We've got a research and administration team out in Asia that helps yes. as we build and grow. And then we have a partnership model with people that we work with. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've been able to surround myself with amazing angel investors and entrepreneurs globally that we syndicate deals with and work together on. When I look at an investment now versus having to do it all myself in-house and taking a look, I judge the people. That's what I know. Mm. That's the business I came from. Mm. And then if it's a SaaS business, I will go flip it to a SaaS expert to take a look at that. But if you're looking at early stage investments, we're betting, you know, uh, people have heard me say this a hundred times, we're betting on the jockey, not the horse. So I'd always rather bet on a person versus the business. So let's talk about that because, you know, that's the, that's the risky part of the play, uh, the early stage ventures. Why that, why that part of the world? By the way, I embrace it. High five. Keep going. We need you. But uh, but that's, uh, you know, people say, that's too risky. Why don't you wait till they're a little more established and go after those guys and gals? 
Well, you know, it's interesting. This is only a part of my portfolio. So I, I don't tell anybody to take 80 to 100% of what they're doing and put it in angel investing. Okay. Uh, and it's understood that it's high risk. But to me, you know, I think as an angel investor, your your job is to reduce as much ambiguity and, and decrease risk, that you're de-risking projects and reducing ambiguity. And so, you know, your goal is to say no as much as possible until it gets to a point where your amp- tolerance for ambiguity is okay. So maybe for me, I've got a little bit higher tolerance for ambiguity. But let's say the entrepreneur, in my opinion, is uncoachable or a variety of other factors. Well, to me, that's an obvious red flag of that entrepreneur might not be successful. And so not saying that's 100 percent true, but I'm just once again, de-risking situations. So for me, you know, I've got a criteria that I look for of companies and people that I want to that I want to invest in because I'm betting on that person. The the company that they that I invest in is probably not the company that they're going to build and probably is not the company that's going to exit. Right. It's going to be a reiteration of something there, a development mm. there. Right. You're investing three, five million valuation in these tech companies. They're still going to grow. And for companies, you know, in my opinion, sometimes it's it's just as tough or even tougher. Wow. You can go from 10 to 100, but going from 100 to a billion, that's tough. And so the returns the same for investors in, you know, in a lot, likely a lot of ways. And so I uh, that's why I always focus on the entrepreneur first, because if it's not someone that you can work with, that you, you, you believe is aligned with you in values and how you want to operate then it's tough to get through the other pieces. What are the must-have for you to invest in a person? Coachability. Mm-hmm. That's probably the first. And not from me. Uh, people always right. think that that I want to coach them. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. You're and, getting and, away from that. No, it, well, I know I love doing it, but I also know there's there's typically, and, and hopefully, if there's not, I'm in trouble. If there's not someone smarter, somebody <laughs> in the room smarter than me, uh, that's an issue. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, I want that coachability that they're going to listen to multiple opinions and then be able to to be able to move forward. Um, they're adaptive. And so and they've got a high risk for ambiguity because that's the business they're involved in. So, you know, it's got to be someone who's got that gung ho spirit and wants to build and move forward, but also can can surround themselves with the right people. The most successful businesses I've been involved with are with the right people. Right. And so, you know, if you get some of the top angel investors, whether it's in, in Vancouver, you know, if you're if you're lucky enough to get a you know, Jim Fletcher out here or somebody out in Toronto who's just seen so much. Why wouldn't you take advantage of that? But I've seen so many entrepreneurs who will just take a check and then not talk or right. not give any updates. And you're just like, you're wasting so much valuable mm. information there. You know, I, uh, I, I think it's just, it's just the key. And that's one of the critical steps that I see this, the smart entrepreneurs take advantage of. Manny, you mentioned a little earlier uh, that you have filters that ultimately uh, have to happen in order for someone to get to you. One of them is, is that uh, somebody recommends someone to you. How mm-hmm. does somebody find that somebody who's going to recommend somebody to you? If you followed that, I don't know if it sounded makes sense, but how does somebody find the person? So Rivers Corbett is going to call up Manny. Manny says, I, "I Rivers Corbett is a likable guy. I trust him. I'm going to talk to that person he's referring me to. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, it's not so tough. You know, I've got over, I think it's like 7,000 connections on LinkedIn. Um, there's got to be somebody who knows somebody who knows me in some aspect or some way. And yes. if you're stuck in the startup community at all, that's pretty easy. But for me, that's just a, it's a really good fail safe. Like right. if someone isn't going to take that time to try to find that information, like I come from a research background. I was, I started off as a research associate in the executive search business. Um, it's very easy to find that. And, and you got to think of, you got to think of it from their perspective. Like let's say I'm trying to go contact, um, you know, someone who's much more successful than I am or is building up and I want them to invest in my company. Well, they're probably getting contacted 
10, 15, 20 times a day. Mm-hmm. And so what's the best way to do that? If anybody comes from sales, you know, a referral is always the best way. Right. Um, and so that's that's kind of my positioning behind it is that if someone wants to make, can make that little bit of effort, um, it, it makes sense to, to have them uh, come in. And, you know, we still see over 400 deals a year that right. are referred in. So it's not like we're uh, we're not seeing them. And then, you know, we'll take a look. And if it makes sense, that's great. Like I'll ask for the basics of, sure. you know, what's the valuation they're looking at? You know, was it a safe? Is it a convertible note equity? What do we prefer? And yeah. if it doesn't pass those fail safes, I'll say thank you, but no thanks. Yeah. Um, and then if it finally matches those, then then we'll do a call or have them meet and go from there. So Cool. It, you know, it's it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes the obvious isn't so freaking obvious. But of course, go if you, if, if you can't even if you can't even pick up a, 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 or make a link LinkedIn connection with somebody that knows me, then I want to be dealing with you anyway. Perfect. No, and, that, and that makes sense as well. Listen, I'm not saying that my method is is the best method. Um, you know, I can it sometimes to GPA. GPA does not mean right. you're the best person. <laughs> right. And so I may I may miss out on some amazing businesses. And I'm sure I, I always tell people like when if I say no to their company, it doesn't mean I know more than them. I don't think the company's going to succeed. It just doesn't hit my criteria. And so I uh, I always tell individuals that. So just because I'm not looking at it or not investing, it doesn't mean it's not a good company. It's more than likely probably is actually because right. at the end of the day we're throwing some darts here as well yeah i love it um are your parents still with us yes they are so how do they explain to their friends what you do because <laughs> <laughs> you got um, a forester and a retailer and you're not any of that and there's no disregard to that but you are living a different life focus yeah no and it- <laughs> You know, it's interesting. You, you say that my parents, like I said, very well educated, master's yeah. level in um, from India. And it's funny, uh, just a quick story. Sure. Uh, when I was at Queen's doing my MBA, I was doing the economics uh, course there, and I was struggling with economics at the time, um, just because I was more focused on building businesses. And my mom looked at that work and said, hey, I remember that from high school. So my uh, mom had done her my economics work in high school while I was doing in my MBA program, which I thought was wow. interesting. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think I think for my parents, they, they've got a pretty good sense of what I do. I think when I was first starting off, they were a little scared. Uh, you know, I, sure. I've got two older, two older siblings who are in very stable careers as a doctor and a lawyer. Yes. And, and so, you know, when I gave up my, my job, which, you know, was doing very well to build this out, they sure. supported me. Uh, they supported me 100%, which I would actually nice. say is it's very tough for immigrant parents to do with entrepreneurship sure. sometimes, especially when I had my undergraduate degree. I could have, be, you know, become a bank manager, become yeah. an accountant, et cetera. And you had your, and you had your siblings, your older siblings who were already on their way. Yeah. And then, and then yeah. have been giving me great advice and have been mentors for me, which <laughs> yes. has been awesome. But, you know, I think how they explain it now is they, ju- they don't go through everything that I do. They just say, man, he's an executive recruiter. That's what they say. He <laughs> finds people. Um, and then people read up on the other stuff and, and then can chat. But That's my mom funny. and dad actually have a very good understanding of what I do. They think it's really interesting. Yes. Um, but their tolerance for ambiguity, I'd say, is probably a little bit lower than mine. Right. And so uh, I don't think they, they listen to the core details of what I'm doing, but they have an overall sense. And sure. as long as I'm not betting the farm or betting the house, I think we're okay. We're okay. Funny story. A good friend of mine is Canada's first PhD in entrepreneurship. And she's uh, she tells me the story of her mother. She overheard her mother say to her friend on the phone, yes, we have a doctor in the house finally, but not the kind that help people. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, and it's just, it's, it, and as I'm asking the question, this is what I'm interested in is how do they, you know, of course she was proud of her daughter and all that kind of stuff, but how do they ultimately bring that together? And uh, so I appreciate oh, yeah. it. And it's, it's so funny. People don't understand it. Like I had, I had one of my, one of my favorite relatives who was doing a speech at my dad's 70th birthday and said, you know, you know, he's done an amazing job and, you know, wealth is just relative and he's the wealthiest man alive because he, you know, his daughter's a doctor, his middle son's a lawyer. And yeah. when he came to me, he said, and his youngest son works in a really nice building downtown. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> so I, I, I enjoy it. I think it's funny. Yeah. I think it's awesome, but it's, you know, it's a kind of a unique job that I have and what I do. And so, sure you know, I, you know, I think it's easier. And then, you know, I think the, the philanthropy stuff, they really get, my dad loves it. My mom loves it. Mm. They think it's amazing. Mm. Um, and they're, they're the ones, they're the ones that push me on it all the time to, mm. to focus on that and focus on my family and focus on life and, and being a good person. I think that's, that's the key. And do they, uh, did you have them involved with choosing, uh, what charities to support? Um, a little bit. Yeah, actually they, um, uh, you know, I think with the education piece, they, they're the ones who drove me to that. So yes. when I mentioned science world to them, we, you know, we did the, we did the donation there, actually a portion of it I, cool. I did on their behalf. Nice. And so uh, they actually decided to name the monkey after my son, which I was like, please don't do that. And they're like, well, you gave us the choice. So they named the monkey after my son, which is awesome. But they, they love it. Like, I think it's, uh, you know, my, my dad and mom have done an amazing job. They, they brought their yeah. family over from Asia and stuff. So I think yeah. they've been giving back their whole lives. And so I think it's just a continuation on from what they're doing in a different scope. That's epic, dude. Really is. Um, look, uh, you you've been dealing with some pretty high rollers, and I don't mean from a necessarily a gambling perspective, but you've you've uh, you've done uh, well with giant corporate clients and so on at a pretty early age, at the age of 26, 25, 27, whatever. Um, you know, that's pretty uh, that's pretty daunting for new entrepreneurs to ultimately go in that direction. What is your what is your uh, what is your suggestion, advice to young entrepreneurs? No, I'm going to call them younger entrepreneurs, like because I like to be called an older entrepreneur, not an old yeah. entrepreneur. <laughs> so, what is your advice to them with how do you build trust with these giant corporate clients when you're, you know, you're just getting going or have only been at the game for a couple of years? Yeah, and let me talk from my experience first. So sure. I, you know, when I at the firm I was at when I started, it was recognized as one of America's fifty greatest brands, for example, and had global offices, etc. Mm. And so when I went to work there, I was the youngest. I think I was the only one in my twenties even at okay. the company in Vancouver. So I immediately surrounded myself with older people and had to try to become more mature, which, if you know me, is very tough. Um, and so I think that was helpful was to be around older people or more mature people. I'd say I don't think you have to be older to be mature. And that just gives you a sense of talking and, and speaking. You know, I had the most interesting advice given me back in when I first started, which was, Manny, read the paper every day, which I would now switch to read the newspaper online every day. Because the relationships you build are, are sometimes not focused on the business, but are focused on just being able to talk about something other than business. And so that's something I, I still do every single day. <laughs> like I read the BBC, nice. I read and I, you know, obviously I read ESPN, but that's more for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, yeah. I think, that, I think that's just, that's just something that's stuck with me. So I think that's really helpful. And then I had a credible brand. I left to go yes. work with clients. If you're doing it from scratch, right, which is, which I think is even tougher, which is you're just jumped out of school and you're building a company, you want to approach big clients. I think that level of maturity is key. 
right? It's, it's knowing your stuff. And I think to do that, you need to be surrounded with people who have that level of maturity around you that you can then take and build some credibility off of. Now, you know, the, the quote I always hear, and you will hear this in some form or fashion is that Manny, we love your product, but we're going to go with this product, larger company, because we, we wouldn't get fired for using IBM, Uh but we might go for a smaller company. I heard that a, a number of times when I, when I started my business and I just, banged on more doors and pounded on more doors, slowly, slowly built that credibility up. As I started with smaller clients, I'd use them as referrals to get to larger clients and Uh and slowly build up that credibility. But, um, but just understand that, you know, I think there is still some ageism out there. Um, And, you know, I was lucky in a few folds that I worked mostly over the telephone mm-hmm. with a lot of clients, et cetera. Right, right. So they knew me for three, four years when I was at my other firm before I went on my own. And, and then gosh, would just laugh at me for the lack of facial hair that I had. <laughs> and so I think that, I think that helped, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of, of moving forward, but being mature, building up and, and, and it, it's going to take a lot longer is, is the key to, to getting into those groups. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, thank you for that journey. I am, um, as you're, as you're referencing your journey, um, and the things you talked about, you know, asking for referrals and so on. I, I reminds me of, uh, I heard John Maxwell, the, the leadership guru. Um, he grew his practice by as one simple question, who do you know that I should know? And he just grew it from there. And he says, what well, the craziest thing is, is the people that it took me to which hurdles ahead of where I would have gotten if I was just knocking on the door solo. So um, I'm glad that you reinforced it. Yeah. It's all all about the people around you and if you do great work and it gets known. Very cool. You got a goal to build 1000 schools for 1 million people around the world. How did you make that correlation? Is it 501 school in 2000 and another? What's the, well, actually we, uh, we changed it around a little bit where it's it's, it's no longer a thousand schools because someone told me buildings don't matter, but the people do. And so we've kept the goal of educating a million. Um, nice. because I think that makes more sense than, than the school part. Sure. And that, that also allows me to, to change up in terms of some of the things that we're doing. So how I came up with that number was I wanted to do a million. That sounded like something that would mm-hmm. be a good number that could then multiply effect and, and keep growing. Um, you know, my internal number over my lifetime is much larger than that. And then we measure it. Uh, you know, I measure it as like part of my business. Like if I right. donate to Room to Read and for example, we did a charity gala, Oh, gosh, it's almost two years ago now, I'd say, mm-hmm. um, where we invited 150 people and I was a gala chair and built it up from scratch in Vancouver first ever. We raised a million bucks. Well, that wow. educated 20,000 kids. Wow. Um, and so that goes to the number. With the social impact companies I work with that are focused on education, I will take whatever percentage of equity I have in the company and divide and times that by the number of kids that they educate. So I don't take the whole company. So if the company educates, let's say a hundred thousand kids in one year and I own 10% of the company, well then 10,000 kids is what I count towards my goal. Um, And so I do it through a variety of ways. So it's the three things. It's the, it's the donations. So room to read science world covenant house that I've worked with even BC children's hospital in some capacities. Um, Then it's the time I put towards. So with the advisory councils of science world, working towards these galas, et cetera, that we're doing. And then, it's uh, it's also the investment in social impact companies and the equity portion I have. So I, I use those three things to get to that final total, to try to make it as tangible as possible. So I can look at it and just like I look at IRR or I look at number of searches we've done or search fees, I've got an IRR or number of kids we've educated and I can go back to those numbers. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, I, uh, I, I also want to 
dive into, and we're coming near the end of this amazing conversation. It's uh, it really has it, it, it's been a speed round for sure, but of great great value. Manny, you got the 2017 Entrepreneurship Promotion Award. Um, as we were talking on the side, I was fortunate enough to to be the presenter of that award, and and um, fortunately couldn't be there because of of uh, early childhood <laughs> stuff that was arriving. But yep. w- w- let me ask you this question, and I want you to be boastful, okay? I mean, I know there's humility in you. I can sense that. But why do you think you got the Entrepreneurship Promotion Award? Dude, that's an that's a that's a epic award. That's a national award by the national organization representing entrepreneurship. Just not anybody gets it. Why do you think you get that? I think it's because of the multiple avenues we take uh, to make sure we're seeing entrepreneurship thrive in Canada. Mm. So, and I'm always trying to be at the forefront of that. I want Canada to literally kick ass and be at the top globally of entrepreneurship in terms of building out. We've got the brainpower, we've got the capacity. And so whether that's getting awards like this, whether it's building successful mm-hmm. companies and, and making good money on that, whether it's working with the uh, with Startup Canada and other amazing organizations, I think it's just based on the breadth of work that we do um, and and me not saying no enough in that space. <laughs> <right now. laughs> yeah. uh, but, I, you know, I think I think that's the key. You know, I, I do work across Canada. I, you know, I, I invest in companies across Canada and not afraid to. Um, and I want to see this be, you know, the country that is emerging with things that are happening around the world uh you know canada has an opportunity here uh, mm-hmm. to be at the forefront and you know i think we're seeing that with a lot of activity and opportunities and i just don't want to see it wasted right. uh, and so i think you right. know I, I believe that's probably why we uh we received it this year and i'm, I'm very thankful and, and honored to have received the award as well yeah well congratulations on that and i gotta tell you um a couple of things um i don't know if you've had if you uh, you're a researcher so you, you would have read books in your past uh, but uh there's a wonderful book uh, written by tony lacavera called how we can win and yep. it, it resonated i don't know if you had the chance to read it yet but man it's a great read it touches on so many elements of what you just talked about to help us be a global leader not just a bronze winner and so uh it, it's recommended to you um, the other thing I want to say is a big shout out to mom and dad, Pada, for coming to Canada and choosing this country because we can now proudly say you are one of ours in, in our ecosystem. And uh, so, so proud to just listen to you, man. It's, it's really cool stuff. Um, any last word that you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, everyone out there, keep hustling. Build yeah. what you and, you know, reach out to some of the amazing people that we've got in these communities um, to, to just keep pushing forward. And I always leave with this quote, you know, if, if you do well, it's your responsibility to send the elevator back down. So make sure you, you build something into your business that allows you to do that. Yeah, I love it. How does somebody find you? You know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Mm-hmm. See who we know in common. And uh, don't, hesitate, don't, hesitate, don't, don't hesitate to reach out. I, you know, I'm just kidding. If you're pitching a business, obviously, but if you want to chat and, you know, you're looking to build philanthropy into your business model or, you know, you're looking for ideas, et cetera, yeah. or, or just any contacts, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. I'm, I'm happy to help as much as I can um, with the time capacity I have. So, yeah, so, I, so here you go, ladies and gentlemen. Just met Rivers Corbett suggested that I reach out to, to you, Manny. He said you give me all the time Perfect. in the world. <laughs> or, or even better, Victoria Lennox, who is uh, just an amazing... 
amazing leader in our organization. Manny, thank you so much. Uh, you're four hours ahead of me, man. You got the day to continue. I'm heading home for supper and then coming back to build some more businesses myself. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, and uh, any way we can continue to support you, you know we're always here to help. Absolutely. Thank you, Rivers. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Hi, this is Tara Hunt, president and founder of Truly Social, and you're listening to the Startup Canada podcast with Rivers Corbett. Can you can you talk about, I, I remember hearing this saying one time, and I think it relates to branding and the importance of, of tying in a strategy behind it is that the inside perception isn't necessarily the outside reality. Can you talk about that if that resonates with you? Well, it's, I mean, the two have to be um, in line. If it's, mm-hmm. if it's not like people aren't dumb, um, I don't know. It's mm. like, it, it sounds a little, uh, voodoo, but like, you know, one of those things <laughs> that you can kind of look at an organization and just kind of feel like, Oh, that they stand for something. This is a right. great culture. You can just feel that, you know, that you, and you can see it in the way that, um, employees approach their work and their customers, um, like if you have employees that feel like like right now the the whole like oh millennials to keep millennials happy you need to give them snacks and all that stuff well no you need to give them a sense of purpose right and if you go to a company and you're just working a job and you don't know what that purpose is you're not going to be engaged um so you know like if as far as all of that stuff goes it, it has to go deep into all of your processes your brand is not your logo or your color you know your hex number and your fonts You're it's right. not that it's not like um moving pixels around on a page right not at all it's how you deliver it yeah absolutely 